Hello, my name is Brian Scuttle, and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Thank you for joining us at www.sonic-cinema.com, as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. Also, join us at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema for early access reviews, uh, exclusive um, deep dives, as well as some brief reviews of uh, older movies I'm watching for the first <coughs> time. And that is patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. So we were originally going to be getting one uh, new adaptation of Clive Barker this year with uh, Nia DaCosta's remake of Candyman, but that has been delayed till 2021. But we did get one in anyway in Hulu's uh, Books of Blood, which is very loosely adapted, which is something we'll certainly get into, from uh, Clive Barker's um, book short film short story collection, Books of Blood. And joining me to talk about it today is filmmaker David Spaltro. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hey, man. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. So I, I, I'll be honest, I... I mean, for those of you who don't necessarily follow me on social media, I've actually been getting a bit more into uh, reintroducing myself to Clive Barker this year, uh, partially because of Candyman, partially because of Books of Blood was coming out. And um, so one of the things you'll be getting from me on Patreon is a uh, an exclusive look at how I look at uh Clyde Barker's directorial work based on his his writings sort of a compare and contrast seeing the adaptation versus the uh original text and how that worked out and I'm really looking forward to that um how David how did you get into Clyde Barker's writing um you know I found I discovered him when I was uh maybe just about like just before high school or maybe really got into him during high school. And I think over the course of my existence, I've kind of gone back and forth where like, I think when I was younger, when I first read him, I was blown away and I was really into it. I remember seeing Hellraiser for the first time and finding the books of blood. And then for a while, I kind of like shrugged it off. And some of the, some, even some of the later adaptations, some of the work he directed or a further writings, I just kind of like, it felt redundant or I didn't connect to it. And then, Returning to it years later, mostly in the last maybe like 10 years, even going back and watching some of the film adaptations that at first I thought were mixed or not very good, I've really learned to appreciate his writing and also his the some of, even some of the adaptations of his of his work. I mean, I always thought Candyman was excellent, um, but um, even like I remember Lord of Illusions. I remember when I first saw it, and I remember the short story and how that it was adapted from. And I was really disappointed in it. And I was like, it was like a VHS rental in 95. And then I, on further rewatching over the years, it, it grew on me. And I'd like, I, I saw stuff that I never saw before. And um, so I've kind of had like a love hate swinging back and forth relationship uh, with his work over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's really interesting, at least when it comes to his directorial work is, in the past decade, we've got we've since gotten director's cuts of two of his films, Nightbreed and, in fact, Lord of Illusions. And I'm that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to because I haven't seen those yet, and I'm really looking forward to seeing 
the director's cuts of both of those films and seeing how they worked compared to the theatrical versions. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that. And it's funny because I only saw Hellraiser a couple of years ago for the first time and I like it. And it's, it's a good, it's a good movie and it's really faithful to the story. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know though. I mean, it just, for some reason, I'm not quite sure what is, but, I I think the fact that it doesn't quite have that shock, that really deep seated sort of dangerous side edge to that Barker's uh, writing has, and I don't really necessarily get that as much out of the film adaptation of Hellraiser as I did reading uh, the Hellbound Heart. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's one of the things, um, you know, uh, Barker's work, I think, is in that vein of like very hard or almost unadaptable a lot of it because because of the themes, because of the way he expresses it. There's sort of it's a very cerebral, visceral, you know, um, sexual. There's just there's just a lot of like inner stuff that like at the same time, I think a film medium and the right director and, and just kind of being given the platform to do anything could really could bring out to, to do it in a more structured, I think even back in 87 when most studios were probably looking for like the next Freddy Krueger, like with pinhead and they, like he barely wanted him in, in, in the film uh, as the real villain. Um, he got away with a lot, but I think a lot of his stuff, it's very hard to kind of, to bring that out. And I think so like even Hellraiser, like there's times where I watch and I'm like, this is brilliant, but it doesn't have that like visceral horror that even, even what um, Candyman has for instance, with a villain. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and talk about uh, Books of Blood, which was originally supposed to be a an anthology series or a TV series um, inspired by the uh, short film or short story collections, but ended up just becoming one anthology movie with uh, three three with three movies and with three stories involved. And um, the, the thing that I, I think the thing that kind of throws people off, especially is the fact that really there's only one uh, story of Barker's that's truly adapted. Although I've heard that he does, he did have a part in, um, in coming up with the stories in the, the movie uh, there's only one that's actually adapted from any of his writing. And I I think that's that's one of those things where it's such a hard... I, I think it's such a hard thing to get hooks in for an anthology series. And, you know, especially one from such... Supposedly from such a famed author to only have, like, one story of it that's actually kind of adapted from his it it automatically puts you at disadvantage i think as an anthology oh absolutely i mean i (laughs) i really was very dis i mean it's funny i i I immediately when i finished watching it um i i I had some high hopes because i i was like you know i really was hoping that they were going even knowing that that you know they weren't going to straight straightly adapt a lot of the stories and that but he had a hand in it that i might be pleasantly surprised and i was I was, it was bad for, for me. <laughs> I, 
Uh, and immediately after watching it, I was like, okay, it's good I'm not talking about this today because I'll take some time and digest it, and I'm sure I'll have some. And it's like as the days went by that it, it frustrated me more. And I think more than it not straightly adapting any of the stories when there's just a wealth of, of different things they could have done. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of them that are far more difficult to bring in, uh, but there's some that easily could have brought in and done you know, interesting takes and woven them together, even even as an anthology film as, a, as opposed to a series. I think what really got me, the more I thought about it, is something that's been frustrating me a lot about some of the reboot anthology horror series and thing, or just original series that are out there, is that it just felt vanilla. Like, it just felt yeah. like there was no... It, it, it didn't... None of the stories had, like, an interesting... I mean, th- there was really good performances and there was interesting stuff, but for the most part, it just felt like... There's just so many. There's, you know, um, Hulu's got another one called Into the Dark, where they've been doing a film, a film every month, and I think Bloomhouse has got one now that's on Amazon. Uh, they rebooted the Twilight Zone with some good talent, but it, nothing feels like an interesting, unique expression or singular story. Or it just, it just feels like it's it's produced and it's told. There's no, yeah. there's no passion to it for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I. It- I kind of I I rewatched uh, actually the same day I watched Books of Blood I actually rewatched uh, Creepshow two for the first time in ages, and I was and the the two actually have a similar issue for me which is the stories are so long like there are only three main stories in both of those and they go on for such a long time and that is such a hard. I mean, if you're doing an individual short film, that's one thing. But if you're if you're trying to tell one story that sort of ties into another, that's or at least is going to lead you into another and going to lead you into another, they have to be shorter than what you get because. And the ones for Creepshow too, it's like they're interesting. They're interesting stories, and they're all adapted from King, if I remember correctly. All of them are true adaptations of King stories, but yes. like the the one with the the one with the Indian just goes on for way too long, and that is no way to start an anthology movie. No, and it's not. There's no particular. It's a straight up like Back from the Dead revenge EC Comics style thing, yeah. which they already did. I think in Creepshow one, and has been done in Tales from the Crypt and a million other things. You know, it's uh, it's just been. There's no original like uniqueness to it and even i mean talk about going long in the in the the 2020 books of blood on hulu the stories there like you 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 almost have like the privilege of being able to tell something tight and scary and connect them all and they go on to the point of like almost being tedious yeah. and not successful but just like oh god like we're still with like like we have how many more like these are left to go like it was very strange yeah no, and I mean, I I will be honest. I actually really like the uh, the first the the first story that we're told, Jenna. I actually really like that one. Um, it's about a young woman who's living with her parents after a traumatic event, and her she has an air condition where noises are just amplified, and it sets her on edge, and um she she eventually she runs away and she finds this like b&b in this town and but the longer that she stays there the more her anxiety ramps up again and there's there's a reason for her to be anxious about this place and i actually 
Like, I thought Britt Robertson as the main character was really good. Like you said, there are really good performances in this movie, or in this movie, but at the same time, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, you feel like they probably could have gotten out of this story a lot quicker to get to the next one and then get to the next one as well. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that was it. It's said that it was a really, it was, there was a really solid performance and even, even the way they, they set up the story and the premise of it, the first, like, I would say 15 minutes, I actually got really excited because I was like, Oh, okay. So like, I know this particular story, Clive Barker might've had something to do with, but it's not from the books of blood, but it felt Clive Barker-ish in yeah. so much of it's like, even like what you're saying about like her, the way she hears people, you know, the, the chewing and all the stuff. Barker's work is so much about sensory and like physical and mental and like, you know, uh, and, and just the, the, the strange B and B and the dread of the whole thing. It was like that. I was like, okay, this is, this is Clive Barker. And then again, like whether it was how long it went or, or some other weird missteps along the way and the, the whole of it, it just kind of took the air out of it. And I was yeah. like, oh, like that, that's, it was like, they were on the right path and then I don't know what happened. Yeah. Well, and the next story is uh, Miles, which is, um, it, it starts with a psychic researcher, and uh, she's speaking to some donors, some potential donors for her latest project, and we, we meet Simon, and uh, Dave claimed, to, he claims to be a medium for the dead, and claims to be able to receive messages from her uh, recently deceased son. And uh, we, we, we see that unfold. And this is the one that's actually more or less adapted, my understanding, from the Book of Blood uh, short story. Yes, yes. And uh, oddly enough, um, there is a, not great, but a, a, a better version that is a full film about the Book of Blood um, that was done, I think, in 2010, I remember seeing, and I think it's on Amazon streaming, um, that sort of expands this particular story and is a little bit more, is a lot more actually faithful to the short story um, into a feature. Um, so they, they, it's very much based on the Books of Blood and the Hulu version, but it, it sort of just go, again, it's one of those things where it, like, it takes some very weird turns that are that are not quite the the story or it, it's didn't and it doesn't feel like Barker either to me yeah and it's funny because of the fact that this is the this is the story that sets up sort of the framing device that is essentially almost connecting these all these stories together but it's the middle story and yes. it's you know it's it's weird because of it's weird for that reason and it's like I actually I actually like some of the turns that it takes when it comes to being a, a horror anthology because of the fact that you don't necessarily get the connections immediately. You see things come and go from previous stories and other stories, and that that's kind of interesting, but at the same time, it's like, well, you haven't done really done anything to set up your anthology premise because it's, it's like the... Um, the the titles for each of the stories are done they're like you know cut into you know a body and you don't necessarily understand why until 
you you see uh the the story of miles in its full form and that goes with the third third one which circles back to the beginning of the anthology uh where two seemingly hitmen are trying to retrieve the book of blood and you see little easter eggs from the other two stories and stuff like that and then you you come full circle with everything and it's such a con to a certain extent i kind of like it but it's also very confused because it doesn't it's not as clean of a setup as creep show with the ec comics type uh oh these are comic book stories that the kid is writing right right and it's 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 one of those things where it's just such a convoluted storyline. It's like it didn't have to be this way for an anthology series. There's there's so much the blueprint of how anthologies work is so etched in pop culture, whether it's you know, whether it's you're looking at the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors or Creep Show or stuff like that, that it's like how do you not get the structure of it right? <laughs> yeah, but I, mean, I think I think it's funny because it's like you could. I mean, I think it's brilliant to because it's so etched to do something off the wall. Like there's a there's a really great horror anthology called Southbound, which is a bunch of independent horror films. It's kind of in the VHS um, anthology vein, and it all takes place in the like desert locale. And each um, each short film or, or a, a chapter of the the, the feature. Um, a character or an event leads into the next story seamlessly, almost like the way Monty Python would do it or, or uh, Mr. Snow, where they would just sort of, and it's like, it, it builds and then it kind of wraps around. So it's not your strict, like there's no like narrator or there's not like one wraparound story that comes back at the end. Um, but it, it does it in a unique way that I think perhaps they were trying to do with this, but like many other things they tried to do where you're like, Oh, that's great. They kind of like, it's like, just, I felt like they just kept tripping. Yeah. Like they did something really awesome. And then it would just be like, wait, what are you doing now? Like it, it was very strange. <laughs> but, um, so what, I mean, you know, there, there's Bennett was easily the, the last sort of story. There was easily like the, the lesser of the three stories, I think <laughs> just because of the fact that it, it basically just serves to set up the framing device. And it's like, it. I almost wish that like that had been like the entire beginning where he, you know, you have the interaction with the librarian at first, he leads him to the book of blood. Then you see him go to the house and then, then he sees the book of blood. And then you go into the first story from there, as opposed to trying to make a story in and of itself. Like, and then, oh, maybe you have room for another, you know, another individual story because this one doesn't really have much to do with it, do with anything else. And it it's such, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, you know, for what was, I enjoyed it. You know, it's, it's certainly not, it, my creep show is still very much my favorite, um, horror anthology, uh, as far as uh, movies go, but it's it's one of those things where it's like the the parts really don't uh, create a an overly great hole in this particular case. No, and I, I mean I think it's like a spent you know 
the the denouement with the, the hitmen, which is based on, I think, believe on Jerusalem Street, which is a in the books of blood is a, is, is a sequel to the book of blood. It, it does connect mm. um, such a big epic in a way, you know, it, again, even that is not translated correctly and it's a little different and, in, 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 you know, you have license to do that, but like, it's so big and epic that then you have this kind of like, almost like, Oh yeah, we forgot. We got to connect everything. Here's this other little story that you're like, that's how like it, it, it's, it's nowhere near as big or as, you know, even with some of the twists of yeah. that the final story, which it should be a bigger payoff, but it's not because you've just sort of had this like almost like beyond the beyond supernatural apocalyptic kind of set piece and thing. And mm-hmm. then you're like, okay, oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta do this now. And it's, I don't know, like, like so much of Barker's work um, in, a, in a way similar to King, you know, in, in a way that's very different is about regular people that somehow you relate to even with the, you know, even with the more extreme and surrealness of, of Barker's, you know, particular taste Um, and, and putting them in a situation of building dread and horror, like true, like visceral horror that you like the idea of even like relating or being in that is terrifying because they send basically sending people straight to hell and literally. uh, And uh, I think that if you're not, somehow doing that and bringing people into basically a waking nightmare, you're really kind of missing the beauty and, and the jumping point of what could make it really interesting and original. And, and, and even when they manage to capture that visually with that story or, or, or connect those dots, they then do something that completely like either goes in a different direction or kind of like steps back over all the good work they just did. So while I think there's like some very interesting stuff in it and there's definitely good performances and I could see what they were trying to do, it's like they kind of weirdly, hopefully it was not somebody else that got in their way, but it seems like they, the filmmakers or the storytellers got in their way a lot doing it. Yeah, and it's weird because of the fact that it's like you would think and you would almost hope that, I mean, maybe, you know, I don't know what necessarily, because, I mean, Hulu has not really done anything uh, as far as any of the any of the original films that they've released or original series they've had i don't think any of them have been like overly like go for broke gory or anything like that but it it's it's weird because of the fact that there's there's part of this there's a lot of this that really feels kind of toothless compared to what you're what what you might be familiar with with barker and it's like that's just not how that's just not how this should work at all and you know i almost i almost you know i wish it had been like an anthology a a series because of the fact that maybe then if you're doing like a series of short films that don't really rely on a connective tissue to try to connect them but like each week is just a different adaptation of one of the books of blood's stories then maybe allowing room to breathe in some of these movies could be in these uh stories could be justified as opposed to oh we've well we've got to get to the next movie yeah i mean i think i think again i feel like there's just such a missed opportunity with this but again it it also i think what really bothered me is it just sort of has been my my frustration with a lot of the horror anthology stuff coming out because it's not 
it's not like this was a film or like a network TV series where it had to be at a certain standard or it had yeah. to be like old for advertisers. It's like Hulu and Netflix are just dumping money into like they're they it's like a it's like um a really weird buffet of streaming stuff where like there's really good meals and in between it there's a lot of stuff and you can fill your plate up however you want, but it's all in it's all in the same restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. And they have this this wealth of various things where they could even if they fail, I want to see these. I want to see whoever is adapting these things or making these episodes fail by swinging big for the fences, not kind of just doing it. And it's like, okay, that was just that was some, that was something. Yeah, like you could have you could literally hire all these different you know independent filmmakers or short short filmmakers, real talented visionary people with unique perspectives to do like balls to the wall. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean gore because I think even even Barker's stuff with its like body horror and, and sex and S and M and all that stuff. It's part of it, but that's not really, you could do it without doing that and still make it the heart of it. it, There's no limit to that anyway. But I think that if you just gave filmmakers a chance to just do a really like each episode be its own particular take on that story, because they're all so different. You would, you get some really brilliant stuff and there's nothing really, that I can see that would really stop them from doing that. So which is why, like when I see these and they're sort of, they are toothless is probably the best word. There's just, it's just, it just feels like more of the same, or it feels like if you had taken Clive Barker's name off of it, it would be the same, like, like the same they used to like promote. I think in the nineties, they would have like Wes Craven presents or somebody presents. So they sort of licensed the filmmaker, yeah. even Clive Barker did it. They'd licensed their name to a film that was already made or shoehorn something in as a branding thing, but it, it wasn't right. You know? No. And, uh, yeah. And it's funny because of the fact that like the past couple weeks, uh, Amazon and Blumhouse have like come out and collaborated on like this welcome to the Blumhouse, uh, thing. It's a series of four films. And I actually was fortunate enough to watch a couple of screening live streams of them. And it's like, the the films themselves are fine, but like there's nothing, there's nothing in the two that I've seen. I mean, I do want to check out the other two that really scream. Oh, this is very clearly, you know, this is this is very clearly in the Blumhouse vein. It's like to a certain extent, they're almost they're almost like you were saying film films where Blumhouse decided, oh, I'll we'll. we'll put this out and we'll release this and we'll put our name on it. And because it's horror and it's like, it's funny because of the fact that the two that I've seen are not, I mean, they're more, there's a lot of suspense in them. And the, the one that I saw earlier this week, Nocturne is certainly got some elements of horror in it, but they're ultimately just not really, they're more thrillers and they're more just like, they're no different from, you know, a lot of indie thrillers that you'll see on fil- the film festival circuit. And it's like, there's nothing that really distinguishes them in terms of a real signature. And I think that's, and sort of like with Books of Blood, that's kind of one of the issues that you see in some of these things. Yeah, I mean, I watched, I haven't had a chance to see any of them, but I did watch the trailers for a few of them. And I remember seeing the advertising to it. And I have actually seen one or two films from there into the dark, which is on Hulu, that I think is also Bloomhouse was behind that. And I, again, it's it's really interesting because I was watching those trailers and I was like, you could have easily cut those trailers together 
And that could have been Clive Barker's Books of Blood, the way Hulu did it, or it could have been the next season of the Twilight Zone that they that they rebooted recently. Because yeah. it just feels it just feels there's no it doesn't feel particularly anything. So it can kind of be anything other than, you know, there's some creepy shots and there's this and it's this. And the thing about Blue Mouse is like, or just even the same way, I'm like, I don't know why they're doing it or what the restrictions are because yeah, I mean, Blue Mouse's whole thing was, you know, that they, they cracked a code basically of doing genre stuff for 4 million or under because they knew that it, distribution wise, it would already make its profit. And, and I mean, it would already make its money back and then make a profit. So I don't know what their restrictions are for streaming, but you'd imagine with like, Amazon or Hulu money and no need to like sell for distribution or, or recoup in a theater or, or hard media that like they would just sort of find interesting filmmakers and just kind of let them do anything or some scripts that they haven't produced because they didn't even think that would work for their model yeah. to do that. And it just feels, it just feels all the same. Like um, I don't know if you've seen any of the HBO series um, Lovecraft country. Not yet. Uh, okay. But so it, it's, it's great. I, I really enjoy it. But what I found interesting when I was watching that is that somehow manages to get more of an anthology feel in that it's based on a book um, that has like episodic chapters and it it adapts it straight. um, But it also kind of goes in its own direction, like updating. It almost does what you really should do as an adaptation. But without any spoilers, every episode um, and the story it tells, it's all very much connected. It feels like a show. You're not lost. But every episode feels anthology in that it's almost like a different style. One one week it's a little more sci-fi. One week it's something completely it's just very different. And and it that is kind of like that that difference, that cohesive difference, I think is what makes an anthology project strong. And when I see some of the stuff now, the only the only connective tissue is that it's the same people or it's got like a logo over it. Yeah. It just feels like it feels like brand X, you know, it's not it's not different or unique. Yeah, and I definitely want again to uh, Lovecraft. I I definitely want again to that show. I I have a backlog of shows I'm trying to uh, <laughs> watch right now. So like I just start Watchmen earlier this year. So it's like I that's how yeah. behind I am. But um yeah, it's it like with with the resources that like Netflix. You're right with the Netflix with the resources that like Netflix and. Hulu, I mean, even Shudder to a certain extent, have towards original stuff, you would think that, you know, they you would think that they would be more they they would be more open to showing stuff that or or producing stuff at least. I mean, Netflix is to a certain extent. I mean, HBO now is to a certain extent. And I mean, or HBO Max, sorry. But, I mean, you occasionally see films that are like, okay, we're just going to go all out for it, but or shows that are, go all out for it, but at the same time, you, you've got something, like, you don't, you have a, going bringing it back to Books of Blood, it's like, you've got a name that people recognize in Clyde Barker. I mean, even if he's not as mainstream of a name as Stephen King is, the the people in the genre community are familiar with him, whether it's Hellraiser, whether it's uh, Candyman, whether it's just his work writing or anything. It's like he's familiar. 
that name is familiar. That name, chances are, means something to genre fans. It's like, why would you not? I mean, it's fascinating to me that, and it's fascinating that Barker hasn't directed anything since Lord of the Leaves. And, I mean, maybe it's because of the fact that that was, like, his second consecutive time where he had issues with the studio, cutting his movie, but at the same time, it's just really interesting that, like, Barker ended up not directing again. And it's because even even in the uh, truncated versions of Nightbreed and Lord of Illusions, like you do see a bit of an imprint as a filmmaker or at least as a storyteller in those films. I mean, it's the same with Hellraiser, where it's like you can tell that there's a particular vision being brought forth but it for some reason the studios at the time just weren't prepared for it or were uncomfortable with it yeah i mean they still had a far more traditional way of like they've got to somehow sell this and and barker you know again barker as popular as he is and as as known as he is at least in in that in that audience he never quite was a stephen king like a household where like you know you, you wouldn't see his books necessarily at the the supermarket counter where you might see like King's books because of, because of the nature of what they were. But, um, you know, uh, I think, I think also, you know, you know, as a, as a a filmmaker, under the best circumstances, making films are very difficult, even, even if it's not strictly like an artistic, like um, he had studio trouble or, or all those things. I think, I think just, you know, he, he was a writer and I think, I think especially the kind of stuff he wrote even for himself adapting it, uh, is very difficult. So I think maybe part of it too was after doing it and that maybe he didn't feel like he, he got it. Cause I don't think uh, his films that he directed, um, even Hellraiser at the time really were, were well received yeah. either. And I think that that also probably, you know, you're like, well, I could just sit and dream up all the things I want to dream up and write and people like it. And I may, you know, I kill myself for three years trying to do a watered down version of it and people shit on it. So mm. I don't know if that had anything to play with it too. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for uh, talking to me today, David. I was, I'm glad we were able to uh, talk about this film and just just talk about horror and uh, anthology films and just just the business in general. And I I, I really I'm I really enjoy the conversation. Oh man, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to thank David for joining me today on the podcast to discuss Clyde Barker, Books of Blood. And just uh, horror filmmaking and anthology filmmaking in general was it was really great to get his perspective on that. It was really enjoyable conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Um, coming up, we're going to have a couple of discussions on a couple of filmmakers uh, with with some friends who appreciate their films a great deal. I'm going to be talking about horror from 20 years ago with uh, Phil Faso and focusing on a few films with regards to that. And uh, we'll, we'll see what the rest of the year brings as far as the podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, for now, though, this is Brian Scuttle. I subscribe to the Song Simo podcast on YouTube as well as on Spotify, Apple, Google, and Amazon. I believe we are on right now. And uh, thank you very much for joining me. This is Brian Scuttle, and 
Thank you for listening to the Sonic Cinema podcast at www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank <laughs> you.